the program, everybody. You just stepped inside of Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome, and I want to welcome you to another exciting edition of Psychotic Bump School. So, ladies and gentlemen, tonight, oh, we have a jam-packed show this evening. We're going to have a big panel tonight, y'all. Big panel. Oh, my God. We're going to be talking about emotional safety in modern relationships. And to help me have that conversation this evening, we have an illustrious panel coming from all across the land, y'all. We have Jeffrey Keller here. We have Casey Phillips Brown. We have Dr. Chase Moore. And our friends from across the country include Dr. Allison McDade out of Houston, Dr. Janae Akbar out of Philly, Dr. Amanda Rankin out of Chicago. We're also going to be joined by our good friends, Lakita Hendricks and Derek Walker. Oh, my God. And we're going to have the good brother, Dr. T. Russ, Thomas Russ. Russell's in the house, y'all. Dr. T. Russ, Mr. Father Mentor himself from right here on KCWG, thetruth.com. Oh, they're going to be joining us for a conversation about emotional safety and modern and black relationships. So you don't want to miss that. And also joining us this evening for the first time in a really long time, our good sister Shaquita Smith. Oh, my goodness. Shaquita Smith is a comic book content creator. She writes. She draws a little bit. Uh, she's a filmmaker. She does it all. And she has a brand new series kicking off really soon, just in time for Black History Month. And she's here to talk to us all about it. That's the return of Miss Shaquita Smith of Shiro Comics. So you might want to call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. So this is KCWG, the truth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bum School. Stay tuned for more. We're going to kick off our show with our panel on emotional safety after this. Hey, everybody. This is Bunny Hearts, and you're listening to Psychotic Bum School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWGTheTruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Okay, we are back. KCWG, the truth.com. This program is called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, we have been having some amazing conversations on Psychotic Bump School already at the start of 2023. And oh my God, are you in for something really, really special? Something very, very nice is about to happen right now. We have an amazing panel back assembled today. Uh, a couple of people are here for the very first time. And of course, you have our uh, usual returning champs. And so I'm going to get to them in just a second. Uh, let me set it up briefly. I'm not going to do a real long introduction this week because y'all know how I get down. But uh, because there's so many people here, I want the focus to be on them, not me. Um, just some general house, killing, uh, house cleaning notes, though. Over the weekend, we did have uh, the passing of Chicago news radio host. I think his name is Lynn Brimmer. Uh, we have guests here out of Chicago. Uh, he passed away over the weekend suddenly after battling uh, prostate cancer. So uh, prostate cancer, that is. So rest in peace to Lynn Bremer. Uh, people were scared online because on Twitter it was trending that R.I.P. Lynn uh, had happened. And so for sports fanatics like Mr. Jeffrey Keller, who's here, you're going to hear from him in a second. People thought that the basketball player Jeremy Lynn had passed away. But Jeremy Lin is very much still with us. And the reason why that's relevant, ladies and gentlemen, because also over the weekend on Sunday, unfortunately, uh, in case you didn't know, it was an Asian New Year. Uh, it was considered a Chinese New Year over the weekend on Saturday. And unfortunately, in the city of Monterey Park, there was a major shooting where 10 people were gunned down. And uh, the suspect is in custody, I believe. Uh, he is an Asian man. 
uh, somewhere between the ages of 30 and 54. They haven't released his identity. And I don't think as of this recording, by the time you hear this, the names of the uh, of the fallen may have been released. But it is a Chinese New Year over the weekend, and there were plenty of celebrations around the country. Monterey Park just happens to be the number one place for Chinese immigrants in the United States of America. And so unfortunately in Monterey Park, California, somewhere near San Gabriel, and we have our good brother, Dr. T. Russ here. I'm not sure how close that is to you know your locale, but uh, we did have a major shooting in the Chinese community. Uh, upon the celebration of the Chinese New Year. So rest in peace to all of them. Jeremy Lin is still with us and rest in peace, Mr. Lin Brimmer. Okay, so we're talking today about emotional safety in modern or black relationships. And how did we get to this point? Well, a couple of guests have been on this uh, panel recently and we started the conversation, honestly, right before the end of the new year that began with the whole Megan Thee Stallion versus Tory Lanez thing. It kind of carried over in successive weeks after that. And the conversation has definitely evolved since that time. And so I wanna bring our guests in because again, I don't wanna do a long introduction. I've already been talking too long already. And I'm gonna try to introduce them one by one. I'm gonna bring in our returning champs as a group, and then I'm gonna introduce our brand new guests to the audience for the very first time, because I'm really glad they're here. Uh, first of all, our returning champs, these two are always getting me in trouble, man. I love them both. Uh, he's played with the Atlanta Falcons and is the host of one of the longest standing radio programs in Southern California, the Poacher Hour of Power on 90.7 FM. KPFK and the good sister is a licensed clinical social worker in Southern California and also an outstanding talented media personality in her own right. Please welcome back Mr. Jeffrey Keller and the good sister Casey Phyllis Brown. Jeffrey and Casey, welcome back. Hey everybody. <laughs> hey, what's up, Rome? What's going on, kid? Uh, welcome back, y'all. And let's go across the country, y'all. These two good sisters. Oh, my God. In fact, I'm going to introduce three of them. No, just two for now, because I'm going to save our brand new guests for later. These two sisters are from across the land. This good sister is all the way at Westchester University in the beautiful state of Pennsylvania. Philly, stand up. Oh, the good sister is an associate professor, and uh, she's back rocking with us for this conversation. And this good sister over here, uh, that's why I wanted to talk about Chicago. So I'm not familiar. Excuse me. I'm not sure if she's familiar with that radio show host that just passed away. But uh, this good sister is a clinical psychotherapist and an enormous talent in her own right. So ladies and gentlemen, also welcome back the good sister, Dr. Janae Akbar, and the good sister in Chicago, Dr. Amanda Rankin. Janae, Amanda, how y'all doing? Hey, hey, good. We're good. We're good in Philly. The Eagles won, you know, Very so this going crazy. So we're good. Wait, the Eagles won? <laughs> Didn't the Eagles win? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, I I haven't. Well, shout out to the Eagles because uh, <laughs> go birds. That's what's up. Uh, welcome, Janae and Amanda. Thank you, Amanda. Good to hear from you. And let's see who's left. Oh, my God. There's so much talent here. Let me hurry on up. Hurry on up. These two good brothers are amazing, amazing, amazing talents. Uh, the good brother in Northern California is a former mental health director. He's an educational psychologist and administrator. The good brother does it all. And then in my Southern California good brother, this good brother is actually the reason why I'm here on KCWGTheTruth.com. This brother is a cold piece of work, let me tell you. He is uh, currently uh, working on his own time right now, but the good brother is now in pursuit of his latest doctoral uh, certification after already acquiring at least one, not to mention numerous degrees of mental health uh, to go with that. So ladies and gentlemen, also welcome back 
to Psychotic Bump School, my good brother, Dr. Chase Moore, an educational psychologist in Southern California, the good brother, Dr. T. Russ. Russ, Chase, are you back? Hey, brother, how you doing? We are back. Welcome back, good brothers. Appreciate y'all. And, oh my God, this good sister is out of the beautiful Lone Star State. She has been in pursuit of the study of medicine, and she's been on here multiple times before, and it's always a joy to have her back. Welcome back, our good sister out of Houston, Texas, psychiatrist, Dr. Allison McDade. Dr. McDade, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me back. Welcome back, good sis. And that leaves our two brand new guests. Oh my God. Let's go to Dr. Amanda Rankin's good friend. This good sister is joining us for the very first time and I am very excited to have her here. And I'm just gonna call her out right now. The good sister's name is Lakita. Lakita, welcome aboard. How you doing? Hi, thanks, glad to be here. Really happy to have you here. Thank you for joining us. And last but not least, this good brother and I go way back, way, way back. This good brother is actually a childhood friend. He's my dear brother. Uh, he's also a service worker out in Southern California. He's been a buddy of mine for a very long time, and uh, he be rocking that bass, y'all. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my good friend for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, the good brother, Mr. Derek Walker. Mr. Walker, how you doing, good brother? I'm good, Rom. I'm good. Just glad to be here. Yeah, good man. Good morning to everybody. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, here we are. I think we have everybody covered now. So, ladies and gentlemen, um, we're talking about emotional safety. So, Casey Phyllis Brown, Jeffrey Keller, can you step up to the mic, please? Um, current events prevail throughout the week, and sometimes there are things that cycle through the news that are pertinent to talk about. Uh, the show has dedicated itself to politics, entertainment, relationships, and, of course, uh, mental health. And we're talking about all of that. And it's just kind of fuses together on conversations sometimes on Psychotic Mom School. So let me start with Jeff. Uh, first, let me go to Casey, Jeff. Uh, Casey, this was inspired by you, honestly. <laughs> this is your fault. <laughs> no, you, yeah, you said that. I was like, what? what? <laughs> yeah, I know. But see, that, that, that should tell you something. I value your input. I value what you have to say. You brought up um, Black women just want to feel safe around Black men. And that comment kind of stuck with me. It kind of came after we went off the air last time. But it kind of stuck with me. And Jeffrey Keller was there for that conversation, too. I'm not even sure if he remembers that. But I thought it was such a key point that I wanted to build an entirely separate conversation about it. I don't know if you remember it, but do you remember saying that, that Black women just want to feel safe around Black men? Yes, I do. Okay. What did you mean by that? When you think about emotional safety uh, at the time and today as you're sitting here right now, what comes to mind when you think about the need for emotional safety in modern relationships? Well, I believe we were just talking about how we speak to one another and how it comes across. And um, so I just kind of put out there that even though I think Jeffrey has said something, they didn't say it in a necessarily loud voice, because I don't know if you guys know this, Jeffrey has a cool laid back kind of tone. So real now he's talking real cool. <laughs> so he didn't say it like, but it felt that way. Right. And so we were, I, I believe what I was trying to uh, get to was that even if it's not said in a harsh, loud manner, it could, the words could be so pointed, it could feel harsh and it doesn't feel safe. So then we have to maybe tiptoe sometimes at how we express ourselves and how we say things so that we don't feel like we're getting hurt. Uh, that's what I was talking about. I'm not sure what you took from it. Um, we just wanna be safe. We wanna be able to express ourselves. Um, we were talking about, for those of you who don't know me, I can get a little passionate and I can get a little loud. It's, um, I don't think I come across as mean, but it's passionate. <clears throat> and I, if, you're, if, you're trying to, if you're being yourself, 
And if you feel like someone's not going to take it or appreciate it, then you have to maybe bring it back some. And so it's like feeling like you have to contain yourself a little bit to be safe so that you're not maybe judged. So that was a little bit of what I was trying to say. Okay, I appreciate that. And thanks for setting it off. Ladies, I'm coming to you in just a second. I want to hear from Jeffrey Keller, who was also there since she brought you up, Mr. Cool, laid back brother. Uh, Jeffrey Keller, what are your thoughts on that? We're talking about emotional safety, good brother. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I just feel like it's relative. I just feel like, you know, people take from their past and bring it to their future. And you may say something that triggers them in a soft way, but they take it as somebody else that they experienced in the past that harmed them. So what you're saying by not agreeing with them, all of a sudden you're talking softly, but it sounds to them that you're yelling at them because they, they get triggered. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for me as a male, and I've talked to Casey about this, you know, I look at what she says is passion mm -hmm. or somebody else may take it as she's yelling, being rude, being disrespectful, but I don't take it that way. I take it as she's being passionate, but that's just how I am. So that's why I say it's really relative. Okay, I appreciate that. Yes, sir. Thank you. Okay, uh, T. Russ, Derek, uh, Dr. Chase Moore, stand by. I'm coming to you in just a second. Let me bring the rest of the ladies in. I want to get them on the record, <laughs> so to speak, about their take of what most emotional safety means for them. So let's go to uh, Dr. Amanda Rankin and then Janae Akbar. Allison McDade, and then we're going to go to Lakita Hendricks. Uh, who did I say first? <laughs> There's so many of you here. Uh, Dr. Amanda Rankin. I yeah, that was Amanda. Good. Yeah, uh, Amanda, uh, emotional safety, good sis. What does that mean to you? Yeah, I can definitely understand um, what was said before as far as um, just the safety and being yourself in relationships, but also <clears throat> being, being able to be vulnerable. Uh, which is a part of being yourself in a relationship, but being able to bring um, both the best and the worst parts of yourself and feeling like it's going to be cared for. Um, you know, as women, like we still want to be challenged in relationships, but we also want to be able to just, you know, fall apart sometimes or to you know, mourn or grieve or, you know, just talk about, you know, rant about what happened, you know, without, uh, like I said before, not feeling judged, but also just feeling safe, like that's accepted, that makes sense. Yeah, that's a great place to start. Okay, Lakita, I'm coming to you in just a second. Dr. Janae Akbar is in Philly and Dr. Allison McDade is in Houston. Janae and then Allison, uh, what are your thoughts on when you hear the term emotional safety in modern black relationships, Janae, what comes to mind for you? Oh, that's so, I think of a couple of different things, right? I think about how um, so many of us in our communities also carry sort of this, you know, burden also of like some of the trauma that we've experienced in our community and our families and how we come to relationships sometimes needing a lot of healing related to things in our past. Um, and not saying that you can't be in a good, healthy relationship with emotional safety um, if you haven't done some of that work on yourself. But what I, what I see from my private practice and also some extent from my personal life is that folks are coming to relationships um, and need some healing, whether it's from past relationships or past traumas or childhood stuff. And I, you know, as a, as a therapist also, I really believe that in order to really 
you know, dig into having that kind of relationship where you can be vulnerable, when you can be open, when you can be yourself, you need to feel like you can trust people, right? You need to feel that you are connect, you're able to connect to people. And some of those past hurts and traumas really get in the way of, um, you know, being able to nurture that trust and that, and those, you know, close relationships. Okay, got you. Uh, Amanda, go ahead and mute yourself for a second. Lakita Hendricks, stand by. I'm coming to you next. Let's hear from Dr. Allison McDade out of Houston, Texas. Emotional safety, Dr. McDade, what are your thoughts? Oh, um, I think that um, it's a very key point in relationships. If you do not feel safe enough to express the way that you feel about something, especially, you know, most of the times when you're, when there's arguments, emotions will be heated, right? If there's something that you and your spouse or your significant other disagree about, emotions will be heated. And so in order to actually get to a point where both people feel heard and a an agreement can be made, it's it's important for the person to feel comfortable saying or being able to discuss whatever issue they're they're having and then have that other person receive it in a way that is not detrimental because that happens a lot right like someone might say something like yeah um especially like when you have kids right yeah you know i'm feeling really tired right now the baby's been keeping me up another person well i'm tired too well that comes across sometimes like well suck it up or you know whatever and so then that kind of doesn't really lead to anything productive right Mm -hmm. so I think that emotional safety is extremely important in relationships yeah I can tell thank you Allison okay uh Derek Chase and T Russ stand by let's hear from Lakita Hendricks your take what is uh emotional safety mean to you Lakita Hendricks okay um so I get the luxury of being last out of the ladies and I actually yeah, agree with everything no pressure that was though, said. Right? No pressure at all. <laughs> <laughs> I know because there's some really good stuff that was being said and I agree with literally everything that's been said. For me, it's about freedom to be raw in my emotions in the time that I'm feeling them as intensely as I'm feeling them um, without fear that there's any judgment or that I'll be penalized for having those feelings or expressing them. And I think that that feels fair to me to allow me to express them in my relationship. But then I also feel like on the other side of the coin that sometimes if I'm having intense emotions and I want to express them, it may not be fair to the other person in the way that I'm expressing them. And so as long as I feel like in a relationship, there's respect, mutual respect for each other, then you can work through it. So, you know, you have an outburst or passion or um just intense expression and then you realize okay thank you for letting me express myself thank you for giving me the freedom and not judging however because i respect you i'm going to do my best to rein it back and we can work through this together because we've created that safe space in our relationship Mm. i like where you're going with that thank you lakita Hendricks. All right, Mr. Keller, stand by. I'm going to get the rest of the fellas in, then I'm going to circle back, okay? Let's hear from the good brother, Mr. Derek Walker, Dr. Chase Moore, and the good brother, Dr. T. Russ. Mr. Walker, your thoughts, good brother? Emotional safety? Because I wanted the fellas here to kind of have a chance to respond and to give their own take on this, too. Good brother, where you stand? Derek Walker. Well, everything that everyone has said thus far is 100% on point. Uh, And for me, emotional safety is 
pretty close to being the most important part of a, a good relationship. Because if you don't have it, it leads to not, not being able to communicate properly, which is the thing that actually breaks down the relationship. Yeah. And so you, you know, you, you want to, you want to, for me, I would, I want the person to, to be naked in a sense, to feel like they can actually be totally themselves without me judging them at all. You know, Mm. that's what's up. Thank you. Good brother. T Russ, stand by Dr. Chase Moore, your thoughts, emotional safety. Good brother. Yeah, no, uh, emotional safety for me is a, I think it's a, a personal responsibility and uh, it's something that we have to ensure for ourselves. I was reading a, a book, it's called your, How Your Biography Becomes Your Biology. And so I think someone spoke to it earlier. It's important whenever we in, enter into relationships, whether it be romantic or professional, um, like in boxing, you protect yourself at all times. It's not to say that you're yeah. guarded, but I don't think you should be emotionally uh, vulnerable in, with everybody in every situation. And so as you start to get to know yourself, then you can start to trust more innate um you know, feelings and and vibes with people. So if you're in a relationship, hopefully we've done the vetting um, to where we can be emotionally, you know, vulnerable and feel safe. And then also know, you know, from ourselves, if, you know, it's something that I need to work on for myself, am I being, you know, too sensitive or is this a trigger for me? Or is this something where the other person uh, maybe has something going on on their end? So, but ultimately it's our responsibility uh, to be emotionally safe uh, and it is highly important in, in every relationship. Absolutely. Thanks, good brother. The good brother, Dr. T. Russ, is also a doctor of theological studies. Uh, good brother, T. Russ, you've heard all this. Good brother, what are your thoughts? Emotional safety. So I, uh, <clears throat> I agree with everybody. Um, I am one of these brothers. I got to maybe take it a little step because with emotional safety, you have to have emotional intelligence, which is defined as the ability to perceive, use, understand, manage, and handle your emotions. Now, I'm a, I'm a tri-multural cultural guy coming from Los Angeles, North Tulsa, Oklahoma, Black Wall Street, and the military. So me being in a matriarchal type of upbringing, you have to look at your upbringing. I was raised by all Black women, strong, very verbal. So I had to protect. They, they taught me how to protect myself with women, not men. So I'm very sensitive to the, the, when you say emotional safety, my black sisters come first. They are the primary, they are the cradle of civilization. So you have to start like, where do you fit in? Because I know I'm the head, not the tail, but at the same time, how do I protect them and protect myself at the same time? Those are my thoughts. Yeah, man. Let me bring in Dr. Allison McDay. Can you respond to that? Because uh, prior to this, we were talking a little bit about emotional intelligence. You brought that up, <laughs> Allison. And we just heard it from uh, T. Russ right now, Dr. Russ. Uh, Allison, can you respond to what you just heard? What are your thoughts on that? Um, so in so are you, are you questioning in terms of how men can feel emotionally safe in return? Uh, you're asking me or are you asking Russ? Russ. Oh, how you doing? You know, um, I was trying to figure out from the very beginning, are we talking about emotional safety for women, Black women, or are we yes. talking about mm -hmm. emotional safety from both genders? Both. Uh, both. Well, I, again, I'm in a relationship, so I'm married. Prior to that, I wasn't married. So prior to me not being married, 
I had to take care of my emotional safety for myself. And the reason I had to do that is because I can't bring baggage to a relationship if I'm not a holistic person, mind, body, soul, spirit, the whole nine. Because if I don't take care of me, I can't take care of us. That's my thoughts. Mm. Allison? Oh, you just so wanted to I, clarify I, that I, question? Is Was that it? Yeah, I was trying to clarify, like, if the question was um, more so, because it sounds like you, you're kind of mentioning more so, like, before marriage and how to protect yourself emotionally before marriage. I'm, I'm stating that uh, in any relationship, if each man would agree here, that we really have to protect our own emotional safety and who we are as men, um, mm -hmm. as leaders before we even touch a relationship, before we even engage in any type of relationship, we gotta know who we are. And so that's what that means to me. Uh, yes. So I would agree with that, knowing who you are and knowing the, the situation that you're in, right? So, you know, I, I think that comes down to discernment, right? Like knowing, um, knowing like what, you know, like, especially, I guess the best example would be the workplace, right? Like knowing how to navigate the workplace and, and what specific things that you can kind of let out at the workplace versus what you can let out with friends or at home, right? And, um, you know, I had a conversation with my friends about this because she's single and she was like, yeah, I feel like the people there don't like me and this and that. And I asked her what kind of things she talked to them about. And she mentioned, oh, well, I talked to them about the things I did over the weekend and like, you know, like if I went out to this bar and this and that. And I, I kind of explained to her, I was like, well, you know, at, at work, usually safer topics are you talk about your kids, your nephews, you know, like you talk about um, kind of like more, you know, if, if there are issues that the kids, like cute little issues the kids have, that's what you bring up. Um, but you don't necessarily talk about things because in a way, I guess the, the women there felt like she was bragging about, I don't know, her weekend or whatever. But, you know, it's, it's, it's something that you do have to kind of like put feelers out, figure out what is kind of appropriate to maybe discuss with certain people. And that's just, I think that's just kind of how it is in, in most situations, most settings. I agree. You definitely have to tread lightly. Um... And uh, I dare I say code switch at times, but uh, I heard something pretty interesting just listening to both uh, Allison and Russ. Um, I didn't think to clarify what emotional safety meant, which I was talking about. I was actually speaking about emotional safety for men as well. And I just thought about the fact that I, I mean, I always knew that, but uh, when I was listening to you, Russ, I was thinking that maybe I wasn't uh, explicit enough with that. And I think that in itself is interesting because I think one of the first things we think about is keeping women safe first. And I don't know if you were going there with that first, Russ, but that's what yeah, it sounded to, like. Yeah, I have to be very careful because I'm a very specific person right. when it comes to those issues because uh, a lot of times we as men, and I might get in trouble when I'm about to say, okay? Go ahead and so, get in trouble, brother. <laughs> as a psychologist, man, especially in LA and Southern California, a lot of people are very, how do I say that? They get offended very, very quickly. Mm. Um, so you got to be careful what you say, how you say it, when you say it, where you say it. But for me, um, I, Black men, when we're going to talk about Black men, 
our emotional safety and emotional intelligence is totally kind of different than black women. We, 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 we look at things different. Uh, we do things different, but we also ask to manage and be careful of their emotional safety. So if black men are, don't know who they are in their own skin and are not securing that and understand their own emotional safety boundaries and understand their own emotional intelligence boundaries, you're gonna be in trouble when you talk to a, a black woman that is very strong, very verbal, uh, very self-confident. And let's say you're not, you're in trouble because That's you're right. gonna get offended. So your emotional safety is gonna be compromised. And yeah. so, you know what I'm saying? So I think I you just described me. Have you have we met before? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <thank> <laughs> Yeah, so I that's that's. I, I would agree because we're just very. I think a lot of I think a lot of black women or just you know women at least in in America are very direct compared to women or to really just cultures that are not American cultures. But we're but especially black folks here, we're very direct. Yeah, this is Jeff Keller from the Pocho Hour Power on KPFK 90.7 FM. And you're listening to the Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWG, the truth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Oh, yeah. Bring it back. Bring it back. Oh, girl. Rescue me. From the depths of my thoughts, I am drowning in this pot of gold. Charms, I am fitted by love, disenchanting blossom as Golly gee, this feels so unreal. Got me floating in all clouds, one and eight. Don't you leave or hunch your ass down? Please tell me you'll stay. Reality's leaving, I'm flying, I'm flying away. La 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 la
So how does it get off track? Yeah, if we're very direct. Yeah, go ahead and finish your thought. Oh, so he was saying, like, if you're if you don't know who you are, if you are not comfortable or confident in your and in, in your own um, understanding of your emotional like, uh, intelligence, you it it can be an issue moving forward because, you know, our communication is much more direct, not as roundabout. You're saying as women or as black people? I think as black folks in general, especially here in the U.S. And even because, uh, you know, I'm I'm Caribbean. I, my, my family is from the Caribbean. I didn't and know so, that. Yeah. So our so so the way I, I'm not saying I feel like I'm definitely more Americanized, but I've had family members from the Caribbean that, you know, like they come visit my parents, you know, I have some family members that live here as well. And the women there, um, or at least my aunties are much more or even more direct. So you you will you will easily get your feelings hurt. They're very direct, right? So what um, island? Which island? Uh, Antigua. It's okay. very it's a small island. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. I, I'm learning so much about you today, Dr. Allison McDade. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Who knew? Mm-hmm. All right. Here's what I want to do. Uh, thank you, Allison. That was a great conversation. Something that Lakita said a while ago, and Chase, uh, you too. I'm gonna try and bring as many people in at the same time because I don't want people to kind of um fall back because um before i go to chase and lakita derek janae amanda uh y'all stand by too uh, i'm coming to you in just a sec but i'm gonna go all the way back to the top to casey and jeffrey keller um i find it interesting that when we talk about emotional safety i think that what is commonly not well what's sort of an afterthought if it's a thought at all that uh the safety of men doesn't tend to be at the top of mind with that. And I've noticed that. And I know that, as Dr. T. Russ said, that this matriarchal culture uh, provides us with a a template for protecting young girls as they mature, develop, and give them a sense that we, as guys, have to tiptoe. We have to impress them. We have to make sure they're okay. We have to keep them safe. But what message is that? And that's the right message. And I, and I, I want to make it very clear to guy, to young boys coming up, we are considered the, the stronger vessel. And I'm not calling anybody weak, but I think it's reasonable to assume that the, the one that's considered the stronger vessel that can inflict the most potential uh, damage uh, has to tread lighter, I think, and be uh, more aware of the the, the, the the gravity of what they bring to an interaction. But my concern is that I think girls are getting the same message that guys are getting that we tiptoe around women, but have women been taught to tiptoe around men in a similar kind of way, in a way that they could themselves be considered at times predatory. Now, I don't mean to sound uh, so fatalistic with that term, but our little girls, Jeffrey Keller, Casey, come back in here, please. Um, Are young women taught, even if you don't have daughters, you may have nieces or some cousins, or you've grown up with aunties. Are little girls taught about the harm that they can cause to a young boy uh, through their words, their, their, their tone, their, their, their vibe, their attitude, their body language? What message have you grown up with as a young woman? And what did you see coming up, Mr. Jeffrey Keller? The messages to little girls in terms of keeping emotionally, keeping emotionally safe boundaries for young men. That was a loaded mouthful. But Casey, you know where I'm coming from, I think. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, as I was real loaded. <laughs> Very loaded. Um, yeah, really. Okay, so um, I think it's the difference. And initially, you said you, you don't have to be, you know, get personal. But then I think you just asked me a personal question: How was I raised? So I think I'm gonna get personal because that's what well, I heard from um, you. I, I don't know if I did that. Uh, you're welcome to, and I'm sorry for cutting you off. How are little girls you think raised in general? That's the question. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Well, I already have. Okay. Well, me, I was um, mother, aunt, and then six uncles. And I was a baby brought into a home of teenagers, right? So I've been catered to and loved my whole life. And everyone was a very respectful household. And so the message outside and then the message I see just, you know, growing up in South Central, um, we're like in small cl closed classrooms. I've always been surrounded by males who are loving and protecting towards me. When I was sick, they made sure that, you know, the teacher, hey, can you walk Casey home? She's sick, this is in the hood. Two eighth grade boys walk a seventh grade girl home, make sure she gets in safely in the hood where gangsters are around and they get back to class, right? So we were raised to treat them like they treat us. We protected them like they protected us. And so emotional safety was really um, big at least in where I grew up. And so as somebody now who does a lot in the community as a licensed clinical social worker, as someone who does volunteer work, yesterday I was volunteering in, in Watts and we were doing vision boards with young girls and it was about six of them. And then at the end, the, 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 the men were working with the boys, the two boys come in and they come in and join us immediately with the vision boards. The girls make space for them, offer them tools, um, gave them a space to, you know, put their feelings on uh, on the poster without them feeling some kind of way. So I believe the communities that I've been around and that I've worked within, I've seen people taking care of each other. Now it may look differently. So um, I think with women, we may be a lot more, uh, and I hate to generalize, open with our voice. And so let's say if we, some of us, I, a, lot of, a lot of women aren't like me. I am a vibrant personality, right? I'm a pretty outgoing person. Some people are very quiet. But for those of us who are quiet, we may get in a, in a disagreement, may get loud without cursing or yelling. Um, that may be our way of expressing ourselves where men sometimes is physical. So I think they kind of restrain, they're taught to restrain themselves physically when they're talking to women so that it's, it's not so intimidating. I think women, we try to be careful that we don't get in a man's face, most women, unless you know there's some real bad stuff going on, can talk in a calm way so that they don't trigger a man to get him excited, you know, get him too excited or get him to be aggressive. And I think that's a woman's way of taking care of a man emotionally, not getting him into a state where he needs to get physical. I don't know how that just came across. I just no, think it it's, it's a little different. Did it? Okay. No, you're okay. Jeffrey Keller, come on in because Casey, don't go away yet because I'm wondering um, is because I think about guys having to like actually because what I heard was beautiful. I mean, you guys were doing something with vision boards. The guys walked in and then they joined in. And there was sort of a, a, a sense of shared communityness and that whole thing where everybody was kind of looking out for each other. And I know that's not the entirety of what you said. And I guess I'm focused on Jeff and Casey and everybody else. I'm coming to everybody else in just a second. So stand by. We have to guys have to actually go out of our way to because I no, the the threats if we don't act right. Here it is. The threats if we don't act right as guys has a lot of teeth to it. You know what I'm saying? We could lose our freedom. We could go to jail. And what are we taught? And this was also said a few weeks ago when it's her word against his. Casey, whose word are they going to take? Generally, most of the time, they're going to take hers. 
And so when her word is accepted at face value, based upon the given information presented at the time, that can have tremendously fatalistic implications for the guy. So the threats on the guy to, to act right, to make sure we're doing what we can to keep y'all safe, it, there's some teeth to it. And I'm just wondering what teeth exists that modulates and moderates women to exercise a similar level of caution because of the damage that they can inflict. And Rome, can, if I may, who, when you say they, who are you referring to? They, they're, young, they're girls. young girls, the, the, the laws, the, the laws of the land, the implications. If you don't abide by this principle, this tenant to walk softly so as that you don't stir something up. There's a threat upon men that if we don't do that, we could be held to an account that we may not and really. Who, who does that, though, is what I'm society, saying. society, the law of the courts. Law enforcement. Is, and is that us? Is that black men? Right. Because we're talking it's about men black in general. Men. Correct. It is black men. It's men in general, but black men in particular. So black men hold other black men accountable or are you talking about the law? Are you talking, talking about, about the law? OK, is that black men? Are you saying? Yes. No, he's asking, are you saying that black men are telling other or are teaching this to other black men? Because the question was, um, what are we teaching to, to to young girls about how to provide emotional safety for men? So yeah, I think that's, and, that's what he's asking. And what and what I'm alluding to is yeah. it might it's not necessarily us, right? Who who are providing the teeth? It is um, you know the judicial system, which is not primarily made up of us. Is what I'm saying. It's like like is that what you're saying? The threat is for us. That is what I'm saying. The threat is okay. for us. Yes, yes. Uh, Jeffrey Kelly, your thoughts. Thank you, Chase. Thank you, Allison. I'm not sure what my thoughts are. There's so much being said. <laughs> I'm still hung up that men are just aggressive. I, I think in today's generation, these these boys are aren't as aggressive anymore. Mm. You Chase, know. who said that though? Are you saying that I say that? No, well, no, because oh, you said okay. that, that that women protect men because men are physical and women don't want them to get physical so they take care of their emotional need by not raising their voice or getting in their face yeah but i apologize i said like aggressive i didn't mean in general like aggressive but they, it can sh play out where women it may be with words or emotion men it may play out physically but no i did not mean to say that men are you know just naturally aggressive okay that's that's, okay. Just, that's what it sounded like I don't know. okay yeah um but i think it's generational right i think it's I think in today's generation with the population I work with, um, I see the women being more aggressive than, than the boys. Um, you know, I have a son um, and he is, you know, I, like I'm, a, I'm an alpha male, right? Uh, you know, I played professional football, did all that. And he's just more laid back, more chill, because um, that's how he's been taught. Um, so he's, he's not aggressive in relationships like that. Mm. I, I just wonder if what we teach them in classroom settings, if they take that, if that stays with them when they leave that classroom setting. Ooh. Um, uh, respond to that if you don't. Yeah, I was, I was actually going to you next. Uh, Derek, I want <laughs> you to come in too, because, uh, do y'all think that, uh, the, the level of the perceived, uh, level of threat of aggression physically uh, the thumb on the scale in favor of the guys being more violent. Uh, Russ, what are your thoughts? And then let's hear from Derek Walker. 
Okay. Um, I'm an alpha two, and I was raised by alpha female. And that's very different because I raised I was raised up with drugs and also organized crime. It's a difference. So um, as my generation uh, raised in the 80s, so I'm 57 years old, uh, we were known as hunters. Okay, we are we do the chase. I'm gonna chase that woman. Now in today's generation, the women chase and they are the hunters. Uh, when you go on social media and you go on Facebook and IG, all of that, you 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 would you would figure out that the women are more aggressive and assertive than the men. And the reason I say that is because when I'm looking at the educational system, and I've been all around the country uh, teaching and consulting and doing this, the black male has become feminized by society. Why is that? Well, when you go into classrooms, 70 to 80% of black males are taught by white women. And so they are asked to lower their voice. They're asked to do this. They're asked to do that. You don't have to do that. You don't have to be aggressive. You don't have to be assertive. And so this is all around the country. So I agree with the, the, the brother when he says, my son, my sons are the same way. They're not as aggressive or assertive. I used to word assertive and the word aggressive. Uh, so to, I'm a martial artist. There's nothing I haven't did. My sons, they're, they're scared of me. They're scared of me. Dad, why are you so aggressive? Why do you carry a nine millimeter on your side? That's because I'm licensed. Well, why, what, what about God? What about God? That ain't got nothing to do with it. And so that military background where I come from, the generations, it's all about the generations. Uh, if you want, when you look in the Bible, and I'll go there, you, you look and say how the generations become wiser and weaker. And it's as simple as that. And so when I'm when I'm talking about black women, I, I'm really talking about what black generation of women are we really talking about? Mm. Because uh this young I, have, I know you wanted me to bring this up. My wife is 31 years old. I'm 57. Okay. She's from Compton. I'm from Watts. But I'm also from everywhere. So at first, I remember saying to my wife, who are you talking to? <laughs> who are you talking to? <laughs> We've had that conversation. Mm -hmm. And so... My wife and I had to basically, and I hate to say this, or be offensive, had to train my wife. I also had to train myself because I grew up with a female matriarch that was cold-blooded and told me to dominate and assassinate verbally with my words. So mm. as I got divorced and then I came back, in my crazy mind, when I got with my uh, my wife now, I had to train her. She had to train me. She had to show me the trends of today's generation of Black women. Very different than the generation of Black women 20, 40 years ago. It's different. Yeah. But what made it work for us is her mother is older than my mother. So my wife has an old soul. So I'm able to talk to her about the old school bump. I'm able to talk to her about certain things. She didn't talk about the things on IG or whatever. 
She just graduated from law school, but she still got that Compton flavor, if you know what I'm talking about. So she still talks with that dialect and that tone of a black woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you talk to her on the phone, you go, oh, she's black. You talk to me on the phone, you know I'm black. Not saying that has anything to do with it, but it has some bearings on it. So I, I don't know if I'm going off topic, but um, looking at young daughters and young black women, it's different. You got to pick and choose your fight or your battle to win the war. Wow. Choosing your battles. Derek Walker, stand by, Amanda Rank. I'm coming to you next. Uh, Derek Walker, chime in on that if you could. Good brother, I know you've been hearing all this. Um, what do you think about that? Choosing your battles and uh, emotional safety for men even. Well, you definitely need to choose your battles. Uh, you, you some stuff you just gotta you just gotta let go because it's not it's not even worth it. You gotta you gotta think you gotta think uh, long run. You 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 gotta you can't just you can't just try to jump in and 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 say something on everything. Some people sometimes you just need to be quiet. Sometimes you need to listen. Mm. Other times other times require action. And you know, and you gotta you gotta be good at you know figuring out which is which. Yeah. Uh, Amanda, stand by. Uh, Derek, in, in your lifetime, <laughs> I don't mean to put you on the spot because I was listening to, to T. Russ and uh, Jeffrey Keller. Casey, I heard you too. But Jeff was saying he saw, oh, Jeff, I might misquote you. I'm sorry, man. But something about um, I've worked in education for 30 years and I know Mr. Keller has worked in education. Russ has too. And we all came up in the school system. So that's why I'm coming to you in just a second, Amanda. Uh, what about the notion that girls fight more or they they tend to because when I and I've shared this on the show this ain't nothing new when I've been doing nightclubs anybody on here that knows me from my nightclub events I know Mr. Keller does um most of that time spent when security had to go deal with somebody it wasn't the the, the guys getting it on they were carrying women out because they had problems with their hands and yet and still this perception still exists that and not not from anybody on this panel, but just generally out there, there's still this perception that black men have a tendency to be more prone to to use their hands rather than their words to settle disputes, particularly in, in as we relate to women. And uh, I wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Amanda, I'm coming to you next. Uh, Derek, well, well, would you mind if I just jumped in real quick just to make a clarification of just because what I'm hearing? Can I just have two seconds? Uh, go ahead. And then I want to hear from Derek and then Amanda. You got it. And so um, and and this is I think will help. Um, I find myself almost uh, being not triggered, but like when we talk about black. Right. Because it bounces so far all over. Right. And and mm-hmm. like I think sometimes we we're going to always have missing targets because black is literally just meaning you have melanin. But it has nothing to do with your culture, your morals, what influences you. And that's really the difference we're talking about. Right. Because. We talk about, you know, people who come from more of an urban setting versus people who come from more of a, um, a southern setting. We talk about people who are matriarchal or patriarchal. These are real cultural things that we're talking about that are different. And so I think that um, when it comes to emotional safety, we just have to make sure that they're aligned. If you come from a patriarchal family where you have, uh, you know, a father and your father had a father, and that's going to be different if you are marrying someone who comes from a matriarchal family. So I just kind of want to make that clarification that not all black people are the same because, um, you know, again, the skin color, all my skin folks ain't my kin folks. So I I think that might, you know, I think um, help the conversation because, 
there are people going who, who are going to stand on different things, you know? So for me in my household, I stand on the fact that um, the male is the head of the household. And, and what that means is not that I rule my wife, but if something goes down, we're, you know, we're a patriarchal family and I teach my, my son the same thing and I look after his sister. So if, if he's going to be with someone who kind of a, a different household, maybe where they have the big mama archetype, that's going to be a difference, you know? And so there's going to be a lot of emotional safety issues coming up. And so yeah. I just kind of want to make the clarification that, you know, there's, we're not all the same. So. Yeah. I appreciate the clarification. And for the audience out there, you know, on this show, we don't talk in absolutes. We never do. And I know I just made an absolute by saying the word never, but nothing is always a hundred percent. Nothing is. Okay. The only thing that's hundred percent for all of us is taxes. And when we have to go meet our maker, that's it. Other than that, it's fair game. Amanda, stand by. Uh, Derek Walker, I was about to hear from you. Good brother. What are your thoughts? Uh, I was listening. I've been listening to everything that everybody was saying. So you're going to have to kind of uh, give me, give me the, the, the question again, so I can answer it. Probably. Well, it was um, we can we can move it. I can circle back to you because I kind of lost my train of thought, too, because it, it was really you were saying around. Oh, yeah, I can ahead, tell you what you were saying. You were saying that um, women are have been um, seen as more aggressive, that they fight in the clubs and oh, yeah. that a lot of the times you. that it seemed like it's the women who are being aggressive. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wondering if you had seen oh, that. OK, thanks, thanks for Casey. that. Yep. Thank, thank you for that. And by the yeah, um, I, I think like so many on the panel have said it's generational okay and you and from the the, the generation that that i'm from you know i i was raised by my grandparents before i moved here to california from where and, uh, and so where your grandparents you know, from mississippi there you go thank you and so you know i had i had a mother and a father in the house being my, my grandmother and my grandfather my aunt was there so I, there were always, we, I, I had both and, and some, and then I, I'm, I was raised in a time where if you did something, you know, you, you might get, you might get a, you might get a whipping from the neighbor and then you get another one when your parents get home. Call them a block party. <laughs> it's totally, we, we were, we were really raised by the neighborhood. That's right. You know, everybody looked out for each other mm -hmm. and you, you don't, you don't see that anymore. Mm. Which, which to me, I think is it leads to, you know, some of the disrespect. Because I, I hear people all the time talking about how the the, the kids of today don't don't respect uh, people like like they should. Well, they you have to be taught, you know, how to respect people. And if you have a situation where you you have a father not in the home or what have you, who's gonna? I mean, a woman can do a lot of things and they're great at the things that they do, but you can't, a woman can't teach a boy how to be a man. Mm. So, you know, you, and, and this, this, this system that we live in is, I think it's designed to, to, to break us down and keep us down. Cause I, I'm, I know I'm going off track here, but it, it it's taking me there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you think about, if you just think about, the the welfare system and what it was created for it was created if you notice when women got on welfare the men couldn't be in the house so they were already they were they were already implementing their plan to to to, to separate us mm. to keep to keep us apart mm -hmm. still going on today and now you and then you now back to what you were talking about how you, the the women are fighting in the clubs the women were not taught when when they were girls they were not they were not taught how to be women 
They don't know. You can't. If you don't know, you don't know. Somebody has to teach you. Somebody got to teach you. Uh, Amanda Rankin. Thank you, Derek. Let me get Amanda Rankin. Lakita Hendricks, stand by. Allison, I uh, haven't heard from you in a minute. And Janae. Uh, let's get all the all the ladies. Bring your mics up. What are your thoughts? Uh, we've been hearing from the fellas uh, pretty prominently for a second. So all the ladies, step to the mic, please. Let's start with Amanda Rankin, then Janae Akbar. Amanda, what are your thoughts on what you've heard thus far? Um, I, I agree with uh, a lot of what was said, uh, specifically just thinking about um, uh, just how you were raised, uh, being reflected in your, your relationships. It's a part of you. Uh, so, of course, it is. Um, and what's been modeled to you. Uh, so thinking about um, just, you know, tradition, thinking about religion even, and, and uh, like what that means for, for safety and protection, right? I'm, I'm from the South originally. I, um, I come from a religious uh, background, tend to be more traditional, and so the idea of, you know, a man, uh, you know, being my covering, being my protector was something, what was part of my, um, was, was part of the way that I viewed the world, right? And mm-hmm. so with my husband, um, having, you know, a very similar mindset, like we were able to, uh, you know, work just because we're coming from, you know, a very similar place but I think with that you know the onus then comes uh from this is from my worldview comes the man to provide that safety you know just in being considered a protector in the relationship mm-hmm. you know so it does uh become a bit more of a burden for him to provide um that safety get to know uh you know what I need to feel safe you know, also myself, I need to be able to communicate it, you know, and to speak up when I'm not feeling that way or to um, let him know, like, when he's doing a good job. But, um, yeah, with, with all that was said, I, I do think that, you know, what we bring into the relationship and thinking about that schema, um, you know, it, it just makes a lot of sense because it's going to look different even for someone who may have a very similar upbringing to me it can look different just by how it's expressed with whomever their mate is mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um so i think with safety it has to it has to be communication most definitely. you know between the, the, the people there yes absolutely Okay, let's hear from Janae Akbar. Lakita, stand by coming to you next. And then after Lakita, Allison, and then Casey. Uh, Janae Akbar, what are your thoughts? Because part of your description is a trauma therapist. And I know there are some real, uh, did I, I got that right, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So part of the, this whole conversation brings up a lot of uh questions for me. And I know we we're, we don't have a whole lot of time and thank you for indulging me. Cause I know uh, we're kind of revving up and, you know, we're probably going to get to the best of it six hours down the line, <laughs> but um, doing the work that you do, I think sometimes there's a perception that things are happening um, sort of in a vacuum. And then when we look at the statistics, we know that there are some real true victims of, uh, abuse or violence or whatever, but what portion of it in your experience has been more uh, distilled than that, more fermented? Meaning um, 
the, the statistics show that there's a lot of mutual combat that doesn't get talked about. There's a lot of issues where, or instances where there's one way aggression from women to men and not to discount real victims who are women because we know that they exist. But again, on this show, I don't necessarily want to talk about every, what everybody else talks about. I don't hear very much talk about the mutual combat that exists. Uh, I'm wondering if you've encountered that in your practice. Um, that's a loaded one for you. Uh, Lakita, stand by after Janae shares. I want to hear from you, then Allison, and then Casey. Yeah, I'm having, I have to be honest, I'm having a very hard time with this conversation. Um, I know. Because I feel like this is, you know, this is, these are like some of the talking points that white people use to say, well, racism's not that bad. And black people do things to white people all the time. And so we, how come we don't talk about those things when we know that racism is real and that white supremacy has impacted, you know, almost every, every part of our life. So I agree with you hundred percent that yes, there is men and boys do suffer a lot of abuse do suffer abuse that sometimes they're not talked about, that sometimes it's not talked about, that it's reported less, absolutely, that there are real consequences. I have a really good friend who recently went through something where they were accused of something and he was innocent and it came out, but it had, it had some repercussions for him, right? Because a woman, and like you said, often we take the women's stance, right? But the, but the statistics do show that more often than not, it is founded and even even with even if you're talking about the criminal justice system is underreported, even in, you know, in cases that end up going to court. Most of my clients that I have that have seen that are sexually abused are not do not report the abuse. Right. So lots of women who have gone through these traumatic events, sexual assault, incest, et cetera, and never reported their abuser. So I think that it's it's hard to it's hard to boil this down to, well, it happens the other way, too. What I'm what I always fall back on is this. I'm not going to fault. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to expand my understanding of how people how we live and how we interact. And what I mean by that is a lot of the situations that we as people, as black people, people of color, people, the global majority, however you want to identify ourselves. That we are in is a result of capitalism is a result of white supremacy, is a result of patriarchy, right? And so what do I mean by that? The reason that boys can't report what happens to them when they're sexually abused or et cetera is because there's this mentality built up of what it means to be a man. And so if you are, you know, and I'm using this loosely, like allowed, quote, yourself to be abused by someone, then you're not a real man, right? Men aren't allowed to have feelings. Men aren't allowed to express themselves. There's a there's a stigma against, you know, men, particularly black men, men of color to go to therapy, right? That is not a fault of men. That's not a fault of black men, but that's a fault of our society. That's not allowing black men to seek help, seek support, to be, to be able to develop that emotional intelligence that another one of your guests were talking about, right? And so I can see a client one-on-one they're depressed, they're dealing with some issues with their job, they're dealing with some issues with, you know, everyday life, they're just dealing with some issues with relationships. But the reality is, once they leave my office or that Zoom meeting or whatever, they still go out into a world that's largely racist, that's largely sexist, that's largely homophobic and transphobic, where they're not making as much as, 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 them, as their male counterparts. So even if I talk to her, talk to a client about, you know, being able to explore a different job, the odds are still stacked against her in ways that I can't fix in a one-on-one session as individual, right? right? And so I'm looking at these personal issues that we're talking about between relationships, between men and women, between you know um, how to how to develop this emotional intelligence and to feel safe 
I want us to step back and say, what are the what are the conditions that put us in this situation, right? Sure. So not putting this personal blame, this solo blame on individuals about why we can't function well in, in relationships. Of course, we have some personal responsibility to get the help, to understand what's going on in the world and to, you know, to, to fix ourselves and to heal ourselves, but recognizing that so much of this is beyond our control. So much of this is beyond our control. And yeah, I have a we question. Were, yeah. Finish your so, thought though. I have a question. Finish yeah, your thought. So that, just, think, just recognizing that we need to take a step back and say, hey, the world is not set up for Black relationships and Black people to succeed. And the barriers that we have crossed to get to the successes that we have made have been tremendous. And can we congratulate ourselves for that and still work on a, on, on a larger level to break down these systematic injustices that are causing more strain to us and our people and our families? Amen. Amen. Indeed. Amen. Amen. I agree 100%. With Man. everything you said. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Hey, you just, you, you, uh, <laughs> I can't improve upon that. She said we should go out on a date. I said, that's cool. You can come to my house. She said, nigga, please do better than that. And chill on your couch. I laughed because it seems she had me all figured out. And my game ain't worked like it did before. Them was days long gone, cause once they get grown These hoes ain't impressed by Applebee's no more Gotta dig a little deeper for that PF change For PF change And if you can't afford it, you can still do things To show you ain't on no dumb shit Take her to a gallery, museum or some shit Thank God for you and all the crew that you run with Giving new meaning to the blind date you so official, but a nigga can't attract Chris style with a boons for a mind state. You know what I'm saying? Step my game up, yeah. Step my game up. Step my game up. Step my game up, yeah. My game up. You make me step my game Step my game up, yeah. Step my game up. You make me step I do have a question. I do have a question. As much as I want to, you know, I want to say one more thing, bro, because um, I was so I'm in the car. I had to leave my house. I'm in the car. My daughters had an appointment at the mall to get their computer fixed. So my daughters were in the car with me, and they're 15 and um and 11, and so they're listening, right? And they're like, "What does that have to do?" I uh uh no, that's not right. And so I was just cracking up, laughing, thinking, "Oh Lord, their mother didn't rubbed off on them more than you know." I I even realized. but they were having some opinions about some of the stuff that y'all were saying too, even as you know, preteens and teenagers. So, well, they are their mother's children. So uh, <laughs> the apple don't fall far from the tree. We're getting close on time. I know some of y'all have to step off. So if you have to step off, that's okay. But I do have a question for you, uh, Janae, because you had said that uh, I, it may have been mentioned before about uh, the element of white supremacy and this notion of uh, blame 
what you said down the stretch. And I, I wanted to I want to hear from Lakita, Allison and Casey on this as, as well. But you said this is hard to talk about. You said it was kind of hard to be in this conversation. And I'm wondering what was hard about it when we were talking about the fact that um, the things that aren't reported sometimes are not talked about. And right. the fact that sometimes that that also means that the combat that is perceived to be solo, excuse me, exclusively coming from one side mm -hmm. is that's actually not the actual reality and the stats don't bear that out. So I'm wondering what what I, I wasn't sure what's hard to talk about. Because I was I was feeling like I was hearing a lot of blame. Right. And I, and that is the part See, that that's so that I want to talk about that. I, I don't understand I, I know we don't have a lot of time to go into it but i don't know i don't get it I, where's the we're talking about what happens generally and I, well, well let, let me ask the guys so, so like for one one somebody well, look, said like oh go ahead Rome. i'm sorry go ahead no 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 go ahead go ahead because this is good go I ahead was, i was gonna say like one so one person was saying like oh well the um you know the girl it was going to work and she was telling about how you know she wasn't, she didn't have kids, whatever she was talking about, what she did over the weekend. And like, well, she's not responsible for those people's feelings, right? Like she's just sharing what she did. If, if she had kids, she might be saying she went to dance practice or whatever, but she didn't. Or, you know, there was another, you know, person who was saying like, well, you know, women have to like, we're responsible for like part of helping emotional safety for men is to not be loud and not get in their face. And like, no, that's not, that is, that is not, I mean, I'm going to still hold myself under a certain you know, decorum. However, I'm not responsible for a man's reaction, right? Like he's responsible for his actions and his reactions, right? And so, but see, that's what I I'm think, saying. Men, men aren't taught that. We're taught. Well, just to be clear, I was saying, don't get physical. Like, don't put your right. hands oh, in. Like, you're like you're like you're gonna hit them because next but, year you get hit. Absolutely, absolutely. And we know, you know, because men aren't allowed to emote, they resort to physical, you know, ways to emote sometimes, which is not good, which is not healthy. Another thing I think is important, you know, I'm kind of, I'm a professor also. So the data also shows us when we're talking about um, violence against women is that, or violence in general, right? So often violence against women is interpersonal violence. It's done by someone that they know, their, their partner, their spouse, their husband, um, a relative, someone that they're in close proximity with, right? Violence against men is often not interpersonal, you know, um, people that they don't know well, some, somebody that rubbed up on you, uh, uh, you know, in the club wrong and you took it personally, people that are not your friends and friend and, um, you know, rel relations to you. So when you think about that piece also, that women are often being hurt and abused by people that are closest to them and the amount of trauma that causes where it's, a, it's people that, that, that you trust that should be taking care of you. And with men, it's like okay. extra, per, extra, you know. I know. And so I think that's so, important to think about as well. Well, oh, and I'm not discounting any of that, but let me bring Lakita. Thank you, Janae, because yeah. Lakita and I, I don't understand uh, as beautifully as Janae just explained that. I don't understand how, where, I guess where is a better question where the sense of the blame comes from when we're just discussing stats, because I, I think somewhere in there, maybe it was something that was brought up earlier. Maybe it came from me. I don't know. But there's this sense of being defensive when we have conversations about this. When we talk about the things that Janae just talked about, I'm saying that we hear about that all the time and everywhere else. And I've been hearing it my entire life. And from 
generations, we've had platforms that discuss the things that happen to women. And so I'm saying we know that and we're not discounting that. We certainly shouldn't gaslight it. But when we talk about the fact that it's mutual combat in many instances, and that's underreported, it somehow seems like that's when it becomes difficult to talk about as if it's hard to accept that these things are being done by women sometimes, not in every instance, because again, we don't do absolutes on this show. But I'm saying it seems like it becomes difficult to talk about when the women's conduct is brought into the table. And this is not the first time this has happened. Lakita, what are your thoughts on that? Then I want to swing to Allison, because I know we're getting tight on time, y'all. So uh, Alice, uh, Allison, stand by. Lakita Hendricks, what are your thoughts? Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a good question. And I'm, I'm thinking about it as I go. But like any time that like, let's say you have experienced an intense pain and then an opposite an opposite offense, I guess, is mentioned, even inadvertently, it could seem as though you may be taking away from that pain. And I know you said it several times that that is not what you're doing and you are just stating facts, but maybe it just, it just, it feels that way because the, the it's called what about ism right we start talking about something well what about this well what about that well what about when men did this to women right and so it feels minimized matter yeah exactly yeah and and i think i think i think everybody doesn't feel that all the time but like when it's encountered it's just like okay let's talk about it as you are as you ask the question and you want to understand let's talk about it get on the same page and say hey you know this isn't where i was coming from I've said it a couple of times. However, these feelings are still valid, right? Because people, I mean, that's the perception. That is what's happening. It could feel minimizing. And that just is what it is. I think it's natural. I don't think it's, I mean, yeah, I guess defensive might be the word, but I do think it's very natural. And I do think it could be overcome with conversation like we're having. So I understand sure. it. Um, and and I understand that you're like, okay, well, let's be a little bit more novel in this in this conversation. Let's not talk about the thing that everybody's you know talking about um the thing about it is that if if that's the majority of our experience or the majority of where our pain is coming from then there might be some hesitance to like veer from that so i do understand yeah you make some good points and i don't think it's deliberate i don't think it's intentional but i think the perceptions come from not necessarily our own personal lived experiences. Again, we're, we're, we're trying to keep it as general as possible, but the numbers out there don't say that there's uh, a whole bunch of um, Mike Tyson's going upside Robin Givens's head. You know what I mean? Because the lived experience that I think a lot of us have is that that's not the case, not in the hood that I grew up in. And it doesn't discount real victims, though. So Allison McDay, then T. Russ, I think we better land after that. Uh, Allison McDay, what are your thoughts? Um, so I guess first I would like to kind of preface um, my experience in that, you know, I grew up in two-parent house in the suburbs. And so maybe my views may be different from other people's views. Um, but I, in terms of the feelings of uh, uncomfortable, like the uncomfortable feelings in terms of talking about these topics, I think it comes from also like the the maybe like the types of comments that are being made too, because you know saying things like oh like the women from before, not like the women from today, and 
you know, they're more aggressive. And then that kind of does make a person feel more defensive, right? Initially. Um, is it true? Is it, yes. Um, women are more. Well, yes. Is, yeah, yeah, is go it ahead, true? Go yes. Women, women are more aggressive now. There, okay. Women are more, are fighting more and such. But instead of maybe just saying, oh, this is happening, like, have we really, like, discussed what the reason was for that? I agree. No, and they have discussed the risk factors for aggression in women. And, and I think maybe Janae kind of touched on this a little bit. But, um, you know, in terms of risk factors for aggression in women, uh, sexual abuse, physical abuse, um, neglect, uh, rejection from peers, kind of what she mentioned before, like um, most women, when they get into uh, fights, it's interpersonal. So, um, you know, when we look at that and we look at the fact that we have like, what is it, like one in three, one in four women um, experience some form of sexual uh, uh, abuse in their lifetime, then you're more likely to see aggression. The reason why I do kind of touch on that is because, you know, for the last two years, I've been working in a, uh, in a prison with, with women. And um, a lot of them struggle with emotional intelligence. And so I think when we talk about aggression in women, we know we need to see how it also reflects back to the same problem that men have, which is, or that um, men tend to have, which is difficulty with emotional intelligence leading to increased aggression. So it happens whether or not it's, it's female or, or male. You see what I'm saying? And so if we have more women who are being in uh, situations where they're abused, where they're in situations where they're not being able to develop emotional intelligence, then yes, we are going to have more women who are aggressive. We are going to just see more and more of mutual abuse. We're going to see more and more of these things. All right. And so I think the, the answer is, is to focus on what we can do to reduce abuse, um, you know, in, in, in childhood, because that's, that honestly, to me, I feel like that's the biggest issue for all of it. I agree. And I, I, I do believe that we do need to get to the reasons and the, get to the root of it. And you do make a good point. And the point I was making, T. Russ, I think we better land with you. Uh, the point mm -hmm. I was making is that you, you first have to name it to tame it. And what I'm finding is that that accountability piece sometimes is amiss in some of the conversations such as this. And it tends to be slanted in one direction as opposed to the other and just dealing with the, the stats and the reality of things and we get upset about things even if they're true and even if it's not a personal indictment against anyone's personhood we can just state the stats and for some let's take it away from this panel out there people listening to this there's still a certain response like lakita said in some ways it is natural and expected because we're having conversation. And so we're only human. Uh, good brother T. Russ, I'm gonna let you land with this. Uh, close us out with a final thought and then we can better wrap this up. Rome, I'd love to end with something if you if, if you don't mind after. Yeah. No problem, Casey. T. Russ, you ready? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, now I can. Someone said in the panel about white supremacy that uh, of course we have an accountability to ourselves as black people, black women and men, but they noted white supremacy. And I totally agree with that because the other day I was in Long Beach and I had a conversation with a partner, uh, psychologist, psychologist doing partnership. And there was a lady there that was dealing with billing. 
And as I was speaking to my partner, which is a white woman, this other white woman had an attitude. Well, I discerned the fact that she had an attitude and I said, huh, I wonder why. So I kind of broke through up some cues to make her angry. I wanted to see where she was coming from. And what came out of her mouth was, wow, you sure are judgmental and very arrogant. So my partner, which owned the business for 30 years, began to laugh. And the lady, white lady says, why are you laughing? And she said, oh, watch this. And I laid into her so cold. And what I said to her is that I get that you're uncomfortable with very competent Black people, especially Black men that know who they are. And you and I mentioned to her, I said, you said, what, am I special? Of course I'm special. I'm different. Why am I different? Well, not too many Black people, women and women are psychologists or have two doctor degrees. I Absolutely. Said, you're so intimidated that you brought the word arrogance and you brought the word judgmental when really, watch this, I'm really protecting myself. That's all I'm doing. And right. so with that- well, Russ, let me, I'm, I don't mean to cut you in. I got another panel right. waiting for me and I, I've run a little bit over. So go ahead and finish that story. Land yeah, real quick on me because I'm a land of cases. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, the bottom line is, I, I agree with the white supremacy and we have to really look and see what all this entails and not go against each other. Simple Amen. Thing. Amen. Casey Phyllis Brown. Yeah, I appreciate this discussion. I'm so glad we had so many people give their different opinions. One thing we really need to look at is now that it's brought up in a way that's saying, hey, we need more attention on this. What are our solutions as professionals who work in this field and as lay people listening to this podcast? What can you do in your daily life to make your partner, whether it's a male, female, whatever, feel more emotionally secure, emotionally protected? And when they're engaging with you, as I do therapy with couples all throughout the week, I see it. I see men who are hurt by the way the women in their lives talk to them and engage with them. I see women hurt by the men. We need to, first of all, be, be careful of how we speak using I statements. I know that's old school, but I feel not just you do this, you do that, you do this. Let someone know how you're feeling with the young men and the young girls in our world. Have them discuss with each other and be open. We have too many secrets. We have too many things that are closed up. And then that jar is going to pop. I tell everybody, I tell my little group homeboys back in the day, if you eat some bad food, it's going to come out one or two ways, but it's going to come out. Right. So, right. and they thought that was the funniest, grossest thing, but, they, but it's true. And they learned, they had to learn how to express their feelings. So mm -hmm. I think if we get any kind of takeaway, we have, yes, we know it's a problem. How do we solve it is through talking and continuing to love on each other, have grace for each other. If somebody's had a bad day, give someone some space, show them that kindness and talk to one another. So I just wanted to end with some type Let of solution. Me. Well, um, I think it is important to end with a good solution. And we end with the beginning in mind, because that is indeed the point of this whole conversation. And uh, I hope you all come back. Um, I want to pick up that point next time when we do resume this, if we have a chance to gather everyone together again, because the white supremacy has been a factor forever. It's important to note that prior to the 1960s, we were the most married group in this country. At the height of Jim Crow segregation, segregation, Black Wall Street, as Dr. Russ was talking about earlier, we were the most married people in this country. And at this point, as I speak right now, only 26% of our women are married. 30% of our Black men are married. 75% of our women will never marry. And so we are, have more freedoms now than we have at any other time in this history. 
but yet we are more divided now than we've ever been. Why is that? We have to stick together, as Casey Phillips Brown said, and as T. Russ has said. Derek Walker, I sure appreciate you being here. Allison McDay, Jeffrey Keller, uh, Lakita Hendricks, Dr. Chase Moore. I'm leaving somebody out. Dr. Amanda Rankin, uh, Dr. Janae Akbar. I think that's everyone. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bum School. My name is DJ Rome. Stay tuned for more. We'll be right back after this. Shaquita Smith, and you're listening to DJ Rome on Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. This program is called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited to have back to Psychotic Bump School this good sister who is just an absolute creative dynamo. The last time she was here, she brought three or four wonderful guests with her. And uh, she represents a company called Shiro Comics. Uh, She's famous now for a really historic uh, comic book. I believe it's called Raven Choi. And since that time, she's continued to do some amazing things in the world of comic books. And she has an exciting project coming up for February during the time of Black History Month. So it is my honor to welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good sister, Shaquita Smith. Miss Smith, how you doing? I'm good, how are you? I'm good. And I have been wondering what you have been up here. Now, I'm not wrong, right? Uh, The last time you were here, I think you brought a couple of other female comic yeah. book things like right I at the beginning it. of coronavirus right yeah it was right before i think um my my shiro con um comic convention so oh. i brought three of my heroes that were a part of the shiro alley with me i think it was um yeah three creators three artists and creators that i brought with me absolutely now did COVID interrupt that or that event actually did happen we managed to skirt by before COVID shut everything down it was like our event was on saturday and by yeah. monday everything shut down so the mall wow. told us that if we were going to have it the next weekend, they would have had to cancel it. So we pretty much were the last comic convention that happened before coronavirus took us all out. Oh, my goodness. Wow. 
Well, that was nothing but the ancestors looking out for that one, but yes, it didn't it stop. You know what I'm saying? It hasn't stopped you. So yes. since that time, uh, what's been going on with you since that time? That was uh, around March 2020, yeah. now in 2023 now. What's been happening in the world of Shaquita Smith? I can't believe it's been three years since that. Um, it's crazy, right? It's crazy. It's like a, we went into like a time warp or something. We did. We did. Exactly. Um, since then, I've just been creating. Like the pandemic was good for me creative wise because I was able to just kind of sit down instead of running all over the place. Mm -hmm. So I probably did maybe like three or four comic books during the pandemic. I've written okay. numerous screenplays. I went on meetings with Hollywood because that's kind of my other job is I write movies. So I was on meetings with all these companies and just kind of like, yeah, it was busy. It was very busy. 2020 was like very busy for me because I was just meeting different people and, and working on creative ideas. I was having dreams about stuff that I would wake up and write about. So like some of the comics that you see now are comics that came to me in dreams during that year. Um, oh, wow. And just like, so right now we're about to, um, well, we're about to start working on a book called Young Grandmaster Choi, which is a prequel to Raven Choi. So during those three years, I actually finished the series of Raven Choi, the graphic novel series, the five-part series. So those mm -hmm. books are all done and they're out. Um, we're doing a trade paperback version of it that we finished that we're going to release this year. And then um, Young Grandmaster Choi is the prequel that I've been wanting to get to, which is, shows Raven as a kid growing up in Korea and shows how she learns how keto and how he uses it to help her grief over her parents dying. Um, so mm -hmm. I'm very excited about this. This is kind of the kid space. I mean, it's for everybody, but I mean, of course, kids will be able to read it and kind of relate to it, especially little black girls. There's not really a lot for um, for us, for the young black sisters out there. So I'm like, I wanted to do something for the parents that can um, put give to their daughters and kind of show them um, empowered and show them how they how this little girl um, grieves, how this little girl overcomes mm -hmm. and kind of show those lessons. Right. And so, OK, so some things are starting to come back to me now, because when you talked about you were working with uh, writers, because you actually put you you <laughs> your story is kind of unique in that you have sort of a cinematic basis mm -hmm. prior to putting it into a graphic novel or vice versa. Isn't yeah. it isn't that it started you... out as a script? So the Raven Choi was I went to Korea back in 2020 during like a study abroad type of trip. And when I came back, the story of Raven Choi is playing in my head. And so so the, I started writing screenplays like right before college, right before I graduated from college. When I came back from Korea, I knew I wanted to be a writer. I knew this story was playing in my head and I knew kind of what I wanted to do with my life. And so the second screenplay I ever wrote was Raven Choi. And so it was a mm -hmm. film first. It was it got me meetings in Hollywood, but it never got made because, of course, I'm not sure if they were ready for a black action, <laughs> a black female action hero um, right. at that time. And they may still not be, but who cares? I'm still moving on without them. Um, That's it. I took this story in 2014. I was just like, I've been thinking about it since I wrote it. It was like, this could be a this could be a comic book. This could be a graphic novel. And mm -hmm. it procrastinated for years. And then finally, in 2014, I started working on it in private. I didn't tell anybody. Uh, but me and my artists just started working on the book. And in 2016, we released the first two books. And then over the years, I kept releasing books as I could while I was traveling to comic conventions. And since then, it's just been, it's kind of blown up, blown up into this whole thing with my company, Shiro Comics, was created because of this. Um, I We're focusing on films, comics, and games. Uh, we have a we have a, a video game for Raven Choi, actually. We've been working on it since last year as a prototype for it. Oh. We have. It's an endless runner. It's called Reaper's Run, Raven Choi Reaper's Run. Um, we have this this book coming out, Young Grandmaster Choi, which is going to be its own brand of little girl awesomeness. And um, yeah, it's just it's grown. It's it's that 20 years ago that trip changed my life, and 
it's where I'm at right now. It's, it's kind of built me up to where I'm at. I mean, it's built you up to the point where you literally dream at night as you're resting and you wake up and you have inspiration to create these stories and make them tangible in print so that we can all enjoy them. Right. Yes. Have, has, have you always had a creative process built around this or around your dreams becoming a reality? <laughs> you're you're literally <laughs> turning dreams into reality. <laughs> that is true. I don't know if I've always had it. I've always had vivid dreams. I've always had dreams of like when people, the ancestors or whatever, always have those types of dreams sometimes um, mm. growing up. I don't think I ever really kind of translated into writing something or whatever. I was always creative. I was always writing songs or writing hip hop lyrics. I was rapping on my my um, mm. phone's message or whatever. People called me to hear me rap. Um, I was always a creative uh. child. I was always um, doing something to get my creativity out. But yeah, mm. it wasn't until probably I was an adult that I started really you know, the, the dreams or whatever that I would have about things, waking up and writing it. Like there's a, there's a sci-fi um, comic book and a film that I want to do called Girl X. It's actually my, um, it's one of the, probably the most creative sci-fi things. I have, I have aliens I've created. I've actually drawn aliens from this. And so that came to me in the dream, like 2020, maybe like two months after the pandemic happened, I started dreaming about this, this other world. It's like this dystopian future. And so like stuff like that started happening more when I was an adult. Just kind of having these dreams. Wow. So again, I'm having flashbacks because you do have a music industry background too. Didn't you say you used to work with Def Jam Records or something like that? Yeah, when I was in college, that was the um the red pill, blue pill thing. It was like I from the from my freshman year, I believe, I was doing music as far as like promoting. I was like on a street team. Um from my sophomore mm -hmm. year to my senior year, I was with Def Jam. So I would go out with the celebrities, like do autograph signings for them or set them up or whatever, go to the radio station with them. And so by the time I got to become a senior, I was about to graduate, it was like, okay, you want to come to New York or, you know, what do you want to do? Are you ready? And it was just like, okay, New York to go to be in the record industry or LA to go write screenplays. And I came to LA. So it was like, red pill, mm. blue pill. I had to make a decision to fork in a row. And now you're seeing how deep the rabbit hole goes. <laughs> yes, it, it's the rabbit hole for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, how well would you say it's working out? Because Shiro Comics is about to kick off Black History Month with a brand new Shiro, and you're calling her Grandmaster Choi. How well do you think this rabbit hole is going? <laughs> I think it's going great. I think I set it up to where own success is the only option. Um, I've been able to kind of build, thankfully for the past couple of years, been able to just kind of build and create um, full time. Um, and mm -hmm. I feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is my purpose. So it's like nothing really else gets in the way. I mean, there's things that happen in Hollywood that kind of, you know, try to throw you off. And there's all kinds of little things that they get in the way, you know, money and stuff like that. But I've mm -hmm. been able to create this company with a whole lot of creativity and not a lot of money. <laughs> So okay. I'll, if I get more money, it's just like, there's no, there's nothing stopping me at that point. But right now it's just been like, I've been able to create this with just a whole bunch of creativity and just kind of spending a little bit of money here and there to kind of build things up. But now I feel like I have a arsenal of comics. I have an arsenal of content of films as well. My company, Raven Choi Films, we have films that we're winning awards right now for. And so, um, wow. and then the game side, we have a game that we've created from a grant that I got in 2021. I was able to create a prototype of this game. Um, hmm. So I, in every bucket that I play in, it's every sandbox that I play in with film, comics, and games, we have some pretty strong content coming out of there where I think we stand up on our, on our own right now. For a while, you know, you had to kind of build that, but 
right. now we're at the point where it's been it's been built um well now we can go see vcs if we want to we can go get grants if we want to we can kind of do whatever we want to do with this um but i feel like we're pretty much whole at this point i've, hmm. I've built up everything have built it up so this is this is 100 what you do now right the last time you were here this i mean that may have been the case a few years ago too but this is 100 you're all in on raven Choi at this yeah, point well i'm all in on shiro comics so it's just like, shiro it's, like this play. it's a lot of different shiros that are a part of the universe at this point right oh my but raven God. is the flagship raven is the one who started it all um and so yeah. raven is the one that has like a, her own universe so like the people within her universe like her best friend in the story is Kiyoka, it's a Korean girl. And there's a story about her. She becomes a K-pop star by accident. So it's mm. just like there's there's different stories that come out of the Raven Choi universe. So Young Grandmaster Choi is another story that's under the Raven Choi umbrella of mm-hmm. stories. So she has her own universe. The other girls are kind of separate. Like we have Operation MIA, which is about a CIA um CIA officer who goes undercover in Bulgaria and um gets up ends up getting in with the Turkish mob. So hmm. it's like that's her own story. And then there's um, Squad Goals, which is my cheerleading story about the the girls in the, the juvenile detention center. And there's a coach that goes in that coaches them into becoming cheerleaders. Um, so there's different mm-hmm. um, different things that we have, different universes that I'm creating within the Shiro universe. But it's right. all for empowering women and girls. And I think it's pretty great. Oh, it is pretty great. So you have this Kickstarter uh, coming up. Um, how, well... Tell us how that's going, because I want to make okay. sure that we give people an opportunity to contribute to it. And what would that campaign be going towards specifically to this, uh, uh, the debut of this new Shiro? Okay. Uh, the, the the campaign is Young Grandmaster Choice, chapter one of the of the series. Uh, we want to do four books in the series to, to, in order to create a volume for little girls to have. Um, the campaign is launching on February the 1st. We're trying to raise $5,000 to complete the book, uh, the first book in the series. We have a lot of cute merchandise like pillows and um, we have t-shirts that have her on the cover of the t-shirt. Um, this little girl is so cute. We're drawing it in the manga chibi style, um, which is really cool. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a comic book drawn completely like this. So Sailor mm-hmm. Moon and like all of them, like watch out, we're coming for you. Um, <laughs> it's it's a little, it's a, the book is about her growing up in Korea after her parents pass away in America. So she's adopted by her father's best friend in Korea. And she's raised by them. And so it just kind of shows her when she gets there, she's in elementary school and just kind of shows her adjusting to life in Korea, a new language, a new culture, new friends um, and learning this martial arts. Because she in the first day of school, she gets into a fight with a little girl. It's like a bully, uh, a bully that ends up becoming her best friend. But she gets into a fight with a little girl who tries to bully her, but the little girl can't fight. And so Uh-oh. we end up both having to go to classes and like um go to take martial arts classes. They're taking half keto and they kind of become best friends. But right. uh, yeah, this first book is just a kickoff of like this kind of the lessons that she learns, uh, just kind of showing the Korean culture and kind of showing a little black girl what it's like for her growing up there. And also just mm-hmm. kind of showing the military stuff as well, because there's going to be other kids who, you know, parents were stationed over there that she meets um, throughout the story. So. It's just kind of showing her adjusting and just showing the lessons of being an orphan, an adop- adopted kid or whatever, kind of showing those lessons. Um, I think it's going to be fun for kids to see her kind of rise into this hapkido, like little karate kid type of girl as the story goes along because she gets better at it. It's like they first start off, she's kind of like, she's learning hapkido or whatever, but then she starts taking the, the hapkido competitive world by storm. 
because she's that good. So um, it's a, a story of triumph and of overcoming um, and Absolutely. showing her as a six-year-old doing this. So, Wow, that's powerful. So when you started off and you knew that you had sort of a, I don't know how it goes as far as your creative process and how much time you allow yourself for it, but to do this for Black History Month, was that deliberate from the outset or it just became a part of the timeline? Just that's when you got it ready. That was deliberate. I uh -huh. I knew that, you know, there's always people that are looking for um, things to support during Black History Month. They're always looking for um, history to to take in. And this mm -hmm. is a part of that. I want this to be a part of history. So once you get on Black History Month, I'm in Black History Month, and it's also like in the Lunar New Year. So there's things going on in the Asian world as well, an Asian community, I'm sorry. And yes. so, yeah, it's like, a, it's like a double one tundra. It's like we're releasing it at a time where everybody's celebrating Blackness, everybody's celebrating Asian, of uh, being Asian. And so it's like, it's a perfect storm for Raven to, to come out and for us to launch this campaign. Hmm. And given this campaign, the timeline that you have for maybe projects that are running alongside this one concurrently, whether it be gaming, film, television, big screen, small screen, uh, how do you have time to do all this? Uh, do you have a staff? Do you have a team? I mean, what are you doing over there? She wrote <laughs> comics. My God, how are you doing all this? Um, I hire people. Like I said, before we got on this call, I was hiring people. Right? And I, I, I delegate sometimes. I'm at some, like with the game, I'm not building the game myself. I'm I'm coming up with the artwork and hiring somebody to draw the artwork of what I see the game looking see, like. Wait a minute. Okay. See, that's what I understand. Because a few minutes ago, and I'm sorry for cutting you off, I oh. thought you were exclusively a writer. You said a few moments ago you woke up, you wake up from your dreams sometime, you draw things. You so you draw too? I draw very badly. And then I'll hire somebody to make it look better. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just wanted so to be sure. Six figures and the artists that I work with, they're able to kind of see, okay, I see what you're doing, Shaquita, and they'll take that and run with it. I should show you some of the bad the bad uh, drawings that I've done before and show them you the output of kind of how they come and in and make it look amazing. That's <laughs> so, crazy. Yeah. Wow. The children out there, this too could be you. So wait, are you, so what are you looking for? Is, is, Shiro, is Shiro Comics hiring right now? No, not right now. Like, oh, okay. Um, no, okay. Not right now. Not okay. Right now. All right. But eventually, that's what I want to do. Eventually, I want to be able to go acquire other projects by women and girls. Um, eventually, I want to be able to go out and, and teach them because it's, it's the thing. It's like with games, well, comics, there's not a lot of women that are in this industry. Exactly. It's a very difficult industry for women. It's very male dominated. Um, right. But gaming is another level. Like, I never, ever, like, I'm very new to gaming. I mean, we started this process maybe in 2021. I started like meeting with people to, to ask about games, people at Epic or different companies to kind of get a, a, a grasp on what I was entering. And mm -hmm. none of them were like, they were all like, yes, this isn't easy at all. <laughs> they were like, it's very much so male dominated. They were telling me this, but it wasn't until I really stepped into it. I was just like, wow, mm. hey, they really don't care about women over here. <laughs> right, right, but right. That's what that's what my purpose is. That's what I'm trying to do. So it's just like I still gotta walk through this door, and I still gotta go tear it off the hinges. So we're mm. doing this. Like y'all may not like it, y'all may not care about women, but I'm gonna make you care. <laughs> Come on now. Oh man. So yeah, this is this is uh I'm gonna wish you some Godspeed with this because this is great. Uh, Shiro Comics is kicking off uh this brand new hero, Grandmaster Choi. I believe it's called. Uh, 
Oh, wonderful. So I don't know, did you mention your the the collaborators on this particular project uh, are using the same illustrators you always have, artists, yeah. writers? Yeah, I've been like, okay, so um, Quasran, who's my main artist, he's been with me since maybe 2018. I think he came in on like maybe the third chapter of Raven Choi. I think he drew maybe half of that or some pages in that. Dennis was the original artist um, on Raven Choi. So he's in, they're both in Indonesia. And so um, Dennis mm. had been working with me for probably seven years before we even got to comics. We were working on t-shirts together. And so whenever I wanted to do a comic, I was like, do you know how I do comics? He was like, not really. And I was like, okay, we'll figure this out together. <laughs> so we did. And so, um, but Quaz has been like the number one since um, because he's just like, he's really quick and he's like, um, he really loves doing panels. And it's hard to find an artist that really is into sequential art because it's difficult. It's all difficult. It's all very difficult. Uh -huh. But this is passion. And so you can tell when you see the what he draws on the page. Everybody that sees his work is just like taken back like, wow, like he's really talented. Mm -hmm. um, then I have Ali Vaughn. She's the colorist. She's in Mexico. Um, she's been with mm -hmm. me since probably the first Raven Choi book, I think. I think she was like the backup uh, colorist on that, because I had two colorists at the time. Mm -hmm. And so she's just been awesome. Her colors are also always popping. She like, at this point, we've been working together for so long, she knows me and I like bright colors. So mm. she makes sure she colors that way and it's just it's always popping off of the page. Um, Desi is my letterer. He's been with me since probably the second Raven Choi uh, chapter of Raven Choi or whatever. And so he's done a lot of work with DC. He's worked with all the big wigs and he also does indie comics, which is where I come in. And so, um, yeah, so Desi does all the letters and it makes the pages look great. And then mm. um, I'm, on, I'm writing. I write and create everything and and direct. <laughs> I right. I'm the project manager, so I come on and the see the 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 things that you see in the book. A lot of that is like, okay, I want them to stand over here. I may give them reference pictures or whatever. So I don't necessarily draw, but I also I paint the picture as a director. That's kind of what I do. I paint the picture of what this looks like and what these um, panels look like. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like my. Um, it's kind of like a director. You do your um, your storyboard. Right. So this is kind of what that is for me. In a lot of ways, I kind of describe to them what I see. What I think should be happening here, and they draw it for me, and then it gets colored, it gets lettered, um, it gets edited. Bethany is my editor on the comic books, and so she's been with me since the very first Raven Choi book as well. So the same team. I've I I'm a creature of habit, <laughs> and if it's if it's not broke, don't try to fix it. Um, well, that's what I'm saying. Once you find something that works, why change? Yeah. I mean, are, I mean, and I'm assuming everybody's sort of a, a free agent. They're not captive only to Shiro Comics, are they? Or are they? No, they're not captive to Shiro Comics. Yeah. Now, at least not at the moment. I'm like, we we don't have that. We're, we're not doing <laughs> projects in like like back to back like that at this point. We're kind of, we'll take a break. Like the last one we did, we finished uh, maybe at the end of November, Operation Mia. We did a zero comic book that introduces a screenplay that I wrote. Mm -hmm. And so that was 10 pages um, and we finished that one. And then now we're about to start working on, we're going to do the first five pages of Young Grandmaster Choi probably during the campaign. So mm -hmm. we're a little bit ahead of it and mm -hmm. then um, finish it after the, the campaign finishes. We'll probably be finished with the book by the time it finishes. And then we'll be able to move right ahead into coloring and lettering. And hopefully we'll get the books out way before um, what the time is on there. But yeah, yeah we're moving we don't we don't do back to back. We kind of take some space in between them, depending on how much money Shaquita has. <laughs> oh, right <laughs> depending on. on um just kind of where where I'm at. Like um, I go back and forth between writing films and writing comics. So mm -hmm. it's not um, it's not going on. I'm not going on 
and on and on every month or whatever. Absolutely. Well, uh, before we give you a chance to plug the uh, the Kickstarter so we can, you know, help Shaquita have the money she needs to do what she needs to do. Um, <laughs> I, I vaguely remember, again, this was three years ago. Uh, yeah. There was a there was an actor that we all have heard of that you were you you put out a print of it. Maybe it was in the newspaper or something. And you were working with an an actor on Raven Choi. And I, I can't for the life of me, I, I can envision this article I saw you in. And maybe it was talks that maybe evolved into something else at some point. But does that sound remotely familiar at all to you? Or am I just way off base here? I don't think so. I wasn't an actor. I know I was in um, in Style Magazine, I think, around that time. Or maybe it was like, no, it was, it was months later. No, I was in a program, I think is what it may have been. I was in Ron Howard and Brian Grazier's uh, screenwriting incubator. Right, that's it was called it. Imagine Impact 2. So I went in there and I wrote a movie in like eight weeks. That's it. I was in 2019, yeah. That's the one. Okay. That's the one. Okay, okay. Because I knew it was something. But see, the, the, the good sister is multi-talented whether it's films or comic books, uh, she's back, y'all. This is Shaquita Smith. Her company is called Shiro Comics. Grandmaster Choi <laughs> is on her way, y'all, and it's kicking off for Black History Month right in Southern California. Uh, good sister, what's the best way for people to support this campaign? Get ready for Raven, Grandmaster Raven Choi, and how can they keep in touch with you, good sis? Lay it on for us. Uh, so if you go to my website, shirocomics.com, that's hero with an S on the front, so Shiro. Um, that's where everything's at. So if you go there, the, there's information about Young Girl Master Choi. You can click on there and it'll take you right to the campaign. Um, right now, it's a pre-launch page. So if you click notify me on February the 1st, uh, Kickstarter will send you an email telling you the campaign is live and you can donate that day. Uh, we would much prefer for you to donate early so we can fund early. Uh, those are the best right. campaigns and they, they're able to kind of go a lot further. And they help me mm. <laughs> not have to panic the whole month wondering if we're going to make the money because with Kickstarter, you, it's all, all right. or nothing. If you don't make the five thousand, you don't get any of it. No matter how you can get the four thousand nine ninety nine, and it, you don't get the money. So, oh uh, wow, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, I I would give a dollar to get it over that hump. But oh, for sure, <laughs> <laughs> I might be able to find a dollar around here. <laughs> yeah, but if you if you don't make it to the to the the amount that you're raising, or um, you don't get enough pledges, then you don't you don't get the money at all. It's like it's oh. all or nothing. Um, which I kind of like that because it okay. kind of gets people involved and they kind of get behind you. They really support you. They really are going to donate and help you make this project happen if they believe in it. So right. I kind of like that factor, you know, it's kind of like sink or swim. <laughs> it, it, literally. Yeah. And that's life. So let me yeah. finally, finally, finally get it right. Cause I, I've been saying it wrong all this time. And I think I finally heard you this time. It's young grandmaster yeah. Choi. Yeah. She can't be a grandmaster because grandmaster and, and martial arts, a grandmaster is someone who's probably in their forties or fifties. They, they've been doing it their whole life. Uh, but I would just call her young grandmaster because eventually that's what she's going to end up becoming because she's just that that great. She's going to learn all these different forms of martial arts over the years. Wow. Well, what a mind. What an imagination. What a story. Shaquita Smith, y'all. She wrote comics, Southern California. Uh, good sister, I can't thank you enough for joining us. Good luck with this project. Will you come back and tell us how it all turned out one day? I definitely will. Uh, it ends on March 8th, which is International Girls' Day. Uh, so it's going to be from February the 1st to March 8th. So, um, yeah, come on, check out my website, check out what we have going, bring your daughters. I'm sure they're going to love this character. They right. love manga. They love anime. They're going to love this. Oh, my God. I mean, this is this is so cool. 
And this is one of a kind stuff right here, y'all. You y'all heard what Shaquita said. Ain't no sisters really out there doing this too much. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the, I mean, world. you know, it, it, lonely world, right? Yeah, I mean, for us. <laughs> yeah, we need we, this is needed, ladies and gentlemen. This is needed. So Shaquita, thank you for filling a void, filling a need. Uh, you're inspiring young ladies, not just here in California, but across the country, around the world, from Indonesia to South Korea, back to Southern California in the United States. Uh, you are essential, good sister. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Ron. Well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome, and you know we're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time, and it repeats again on Friday evenings from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific time. Check back with us. We shall return next week. I also want to thank our amazing guests for the evening, Dr. Amanda Rankin, Dr. Janae Akbar, Dr. Allison McDay, Dr. Chase Moore, Casey Phillips-Brown, Jeffrey Keller, Lakita Hendricks, Derek Walker, and Dr. T. Russ, and also our good sister, Shaquita Smith of Shiro Comics. also want to send a very, very special shout out to Mr. Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Take care. <laughs>